This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Welcome back to another episode of Half Measures. Let me introduce you to the once upon a time in Capity Kid, the say what, say what one more goddamn time guy, the inglorious, the death proof, the bill killer, the I only take orange juice with the pulp lad. You're about to spend an hour with Kanawa, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, my chum, my bud, my pal, my co host, Paul Kanawa. I was coming in with let me introduce Dan Unchained. That's as far as I went. I love I love the preparation that you do for these episodes, Dan. It really really highlights how little effort I put in. I feel like I'm the real half measure here, and you're leaning towards a full measure. Thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, there's some some colourful ones in there. Enjoyable. Look, I like to really put these together on my sort of at the end of the day. You know, throw a few things around, think about what we might do for the episode, see what I can do with it. It's not overly great, but there's a there's a few bits that I'm. I'm vibing, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what sticks. Well, this week, Dan, we're going to do something a little bit different. This week, as you may have guessed from some of our introductions, there, we're going to do a little bit of a once upon a time in Wellington. What are we doing this week, Dan? Yeah. So, um, for some of you, I guess old school half measures fans, we're actually going to do a bit of a list where we're going to review. Quentin Tarantino movies. So we're gonna we're really focusing on the um, directed um, written movies. So that there's mm. there's ten of them, and Paul and I have each curated a an order to the list. It's a I don't know about you, Paul, but it's a it's a challenging job to curate for these ten pretty good pretty good movies, um, and to try to work out what our what our number one might be. But before we kind of dig into into the the world famous half measures list. If people want to get in touch with us, Paul, where might they do that? You can find us online on all the social medias, Dan. Half Measures Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr, Bebo, MySpace. We're there. We're everywhere. If you can't find us there, you can just go straight to halfmeasurespodcast.com. I kind of wish we just had a MySpace page. I think that'd be great. I, n- I never had a MySpace page. Nor did I. I feel like if they brought it back, it would be really successful because it would just be, you know, there could be such a thing as like a retro social media now. Um, yeah. I fit, 
Yeah, I feel like I was in the, the bit of a wormhole. I feel like I must have just been at that age point where I didn't really know what a MySpace page was, and by the time I did, they weren't a thing. So I just never had one. I Rob. remember. I remember friends reunited. And I think that sort of was what launched Facebook, to be honest. Uh, but in this modern day and age, you can also find us on Reddit, and you can also find us on discord and you can join our discord community by clicking on the link in the episode description for this podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast i think too i'd be really keen particularly for our discord community let us know your rank um once once you've heard ours does it align have you got a new top one a different top one from us do, do you know what i actually i actually challenge the listeners to maybe press pause right now and jot down your top 10 list before you even listen to us so that you don't get any bias. And then, you know, as Dan says, if you're keen, maybe tweet us or email us or, or whatever. Um, so, so I guess actually just on that, just to reiterate what you said before, Dan, the 10 movies that we're including are the ones where Quentin Tarantino has been both the writer and the director. So we won't be including uh, True Romance, for example, um, as he didn't direct it, he only wrote it. And right, likewise, really? yeah, yeah, indeed. And likewise, um, uh, Sin City, one that he he partly directed but didn't write so so the 10 movies if you do want to make that list i can't imagine anyone's going to do this but i've started so i'll finish uh are and these are in in chronological order reservoir dogs pulp fiction jackie brown kill bill volume one kill bill volume two death proof inglorious bastards django unchained the hateful eight and once upon a time in hollywood Yeah, so I think we should just jump into it, Paul. There's no point, uh, no no point mucking around. So, like we've done with our other lists, what we're going to do is we'll uh, we'll count down from ten to number one, and see how in sync we really are. Um, I'm going to hand over to you, Paul, to announce what is number ten on your list for Quentin Tarantino movies. Okay, well, I do need to preface it by firstly saying this is one of the hardest lists I've ever had to make. I put it together on the train and I've changed it twice already, but I'm committed to my list and I won't change it no matter what happens in this podcast and I'll show you my written proof. So number 10. Okay. Coming in. You're struggling. I I, I, I feel awful saying that. It's Jackie Brain. It's Jackie Brain. So um, before I get into... I feel terrible about it. Let's uh, let's let's give some of the listeners who may not know what this movie is uh, a little bit of a uh, synopsis. So Jackie Brown, uh, 1997 movie for Tarantino. Uh, flight attendant Jackie Brown smuggles money from Mexico to Los Angeles for an arms dealer called Ordell. When she gets caught by federal agents with $10,000 in cocaine in her purse, they propose a deal to help her arrest Ordell in exchange for freedom. Meanwhile, Ordell asks a bail bond businessman to release Jackie with the intention of eliminating her. Uh, Jackie then suspects Ordell and plots a complicated game with the uh, the bail bondsman to steal half a million dollars from Ordell. So that's the synopsis. It's number 10 for me. Uh, as I say, I someone had to come in last place, Dan, right? Um, but I can feel... Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, and Robert Forster all staring at me about this decision because um, it's uh, it just feels awful. But do you know what? In some ways, I feel that whatever Quentin Tarantino did after Pulp Fiction was always going to be the hardest ask. So this was 97, Pulp Fiction was 94. So I think it was always going to be hard to, to follow that movie. It is a great movie, though. I do love 
the premise. It's a really, really great story. I find it really tense, even on a rewatch. I watched it uh, quite recently, actually. And the soundtrack, whilst it's it's good, it's quite possibly not my not my cup of tea, perhaps. Um, but again, how do you follow up a soundtrack like like Pop Fiction? But uh, no, a really a really fascinating movie. But it does come in at number ten on my list. Dan, what about you? Well, Paul, I'm actually going to join you with uh, Jackie Brown at ten as well. So I embarrassingly have only seen Jackie Brown once and it was at the movie theater. I didn't overly enjoy it, but I feel like it's a movie and I, I this is something I say a lot on the Half Measures podcast. I probably need to watch it again. It's been a it's been a long time since I've seen it. I know that um critically Jackie Brown's actually raved about like a lot of critics really think this is a great movie. Mm. Um but for me I guess, like yourself, having come from Pulp Fiction, um, wasn't really prepared for the the slowness of this movie. But when I actually think about the the Tarantino back catalogue, a lot of them actually probably follow the the Jackie Brown um, model of kind of slow build up, sort of big bang. So that's why I think it probably deserves a rewatch. Mm. And I think even though it's number ten on my list. I by no means probably think any of these movies are terrible and they're and they're all worth a watch. So yeah, no, I'm joining you at number ten. It's and it's probably for me mostly because it's it's the one I've seen the least and it just never resonated with me at the time. But I feel like a, an older wiser Daniel Whiting could probably review that thinking if he if he had another watch. I think I think you might do. Um, I, I mean, you know, I'm agreeing with you at number ten. But yeah, I think I think I enjoyed it more uh, more recently than I did perhaps in '97 when I saw it at the cinema. Um, but you know, you're quite right in saying all of these ten movies are, you know, for me they score at least an eight out of ten. So um, it's been great actually. This list, just just quickly going off topic, just just even thinking about these movies and going through it was real fun in itself. So. Um, Interesting though that we agreed because I, I was fairly sure I was able to pick what your number ten was going to be coming in. So I'm already way off the money. So um, interesting. I think this is this is probably where we part ways. Um, I think we're about to okay really just go down a, a slippery slope into Let, number nine. I think. Let's see how we go. My standout performance here um, for this movie was Robert Forster as the bail bondsman Max Cherry. I felt that he. When I think of Robert Forster, this is the role I think of him in, despite some other great performances. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't even know if I could really offer you up a, a peak performance in this one because, I, as I say, I haven't seen it enough. Just looking at the list of actors involved here, though, obviously oh, Sam Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget mm. Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Chris Tucker. There's so many um great actors and actresses that on paper you probably just pick one of those and it would be good yeah interesting enough uh samuel jackson picked this as his uh, his favorite character of any tarantino movie he's done so i thought that was quite interesting because he's quite aggressive in this movie i think i mentioned when we did uh, the peak performance on samuel jackson how intimidating he was in this role and he had that classic ak-47 when you absolutely positively you know that that great line so uh, he obviously had a great time making this movie cool should we move on let's go to number nine Dan. do you want me to go first this time i think so 
All right, so number nine for me is actually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So the latest uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, it's another one of his which didn't, like, I enjoyed it. It's just not one of my favourite ones. So, again, a little bit of synopsis um, for those that haven't seen it. So, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 LA where everything's changing as TV star Rick Dalton, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, who's played by Brad Pitt, make their way around um, an industry that hardly recognised anymore. And... I don't know. Is it spoiler going much deeper than that into no. some of the context? I, th- I think I think so, I think you're right. We should have said right from the start we're we're talking spoilers and everything. You know, this movie's at least a year old. It's too late. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's still it's still you, you've had your chance. You've had your chance. Um, and so I think there's some there's some great performances in this movie, uh, particularly by Brad Pitt and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I think they've got some great chemistry. There's I feel like this is a movie that was made for Hollywood, for the industry, and that's why um, other actors love it. I enjoyed the um, the tie into the Charles Manson storyline. Mm. Um, it may it was in one of those movies that left me reading Wikipedia pages about some of the the, the key characters in the film. Um, it is another one though, and I think this this is a uh, a Tarantino feature of the slow build to the big mm. delivery, mm. and I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood embraces that fully. Um, yeah, it's a good actors, but just it didn't, it just didn't, it didn't do it for me, and I. I kind of wanted a little bit more. I kind of wished it maybe focused more on the um, Charles Manson linkages, but it's mm-hmm. it really was a as a slice of of history almost. I think in that in that time period. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty fair summary to be honest with you, Dan. And for those of you out there listening who've thought Dan's always on the money, well, I can tell you he's completely off the money because I'm following you in suit with my number nine it's the same movie once upon a time in hollywood so we're still we're still running neck and neck at this point um you are joking me this is the one that i thought that you might have as your number 10 the reason for that is because we actually talked about this movie in episode three of half measures podcast and i recall that i rated it much higher than you at that time but you i think you rated it as the most overrated movie of the year i think that's the award remember those awards we gave um, double double-sided laminated paper awards mm, yeah, yeah i think i think that's uh so it doesn't surprise me to see it low down your list in fact i thought coming in it was going to be going to be a number 10 so um i think i think for me the reason why it fares lower down the list and still bearing in mind that i love this movie i, I need to stop reiterating that but the fact that it's so far down this is that i just don't care as much about the plot and i think that touches on what you just said about how it was kind of maybe made a little bit for hollywood it's you know it's interesting but it hasn't got that tension. So like I just talked about the tension of the Jackie Brown movie where, you know, they're, they're, they've got the the money. Uh, that is Samuel Jackson's character going to sort of work out that he's being double-crossed, that sort of tension? I didn't feel that. Yes, I did feel that sort of 
I guess, towards the end of the movie because we've got that that great ending scene, which is pretty intense and probably, if I'm honest, probably one of the most intense endings of all Tarantino movies. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is so much I do love about this movie. And I think of all of Tarantino's movies, this is the one where I think he encapsulates the the most genuine look and feel of a time and place that he is trying to portray on screen. I really feel like it authentically demonstrates without having known what it was like but for me it feels like it feels like 1969 everything's right it feels like i i can't even believe some of the movie how it was possibly filmed in modern day it's just a treat to watch it, it perhaps it's a little long um but yeah leonardo leonardo dicaprio obviously a huge draw card um you know tarantino always brings out an amazing performance in him Although I think the standout performance here is, is actually Brad Pitt, who is, uh, you know, he really owns that role. And I always think of him when he walks into that, what was it? Like that Manson, is it like a trailer pack or whatever it was, you know, like mm. the caravan, you know, that foreboding arena. And he just sort of, he just walks in real, real ballsy. I thought that was great. So, uh, yeah. Even I think um, one of the things I did enjoy about that movie is actually just some of the the nods to smaller characters, like the nods to Steve McQueen, the nods to Bruce mm-hmm. Lee. That, that was kind of cool little um, cool little feature in the movie. And one of those, I mean, Bruce Lee is one of those uh, many many subjects that Tarantino has been the subject of criticism of in terms of things he's done in movies. Like there was so much uh, backlash from from Bruce Lee's family around how he was portrayed, and Tarantino was basically saying, you know, oh, he was like that. He was arrogant. And, uh, you know, he upset a lot of people with that, but I, I thought, I thought it was really good. I thought the Steve McQueen was, was fantastic. So, um, I want to go and rewatch this movie just talking about it, Dan. That's how it makes me feel. (laughs) I am genuinely shocked. I thought you were going to come in with a once upon a time at number one, to be honest. No. I thought you were such a fan. I, I, and that's what I, it's, I am a fan, but. It's it's got to go somewhere in the list. It, it, it sort of gives you a sort of a sense of what I think about the other movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm intrigued to see whether we can continue, um, much like in sync, the band with uh, number eight. I'm gonna, I'm going to let you kick this one off. I'm going again. Okay, right. So number eight uh, for me, um, tough choice, but I've actually gone with the 1992 movie. The very first one, Reservoir Dogs. So um, this is, again, for people who are unfamiliar with this movie, this is the one where six criminals who are strangers to each other are hired by a crime boss to carry out a diamond robbery. And right at the start, they're given false names with the intention that they won't get too close and will concentrate on the job. So they're really sure the robbery is going to be a success. But when the police show up right at the same side of the robbery, uh, they sort of panic and think that, you know, there's there's an undercover cop in the group. So um, when they go back to uh, meet at a pre- predetermined rendezvous point, they basically suspect each other and um, it, it all ensues from there. So, um, yeah, this is a movie I feel like I did watch a lot in the 90s and haven't seen as recently. I feel like um, I feel like part of the reason why it's maybe further down my list is that maybe it's aged the most, given that it is the oldest. It's only two years before Pulp Fiction, but it just kind of looks and feels a little eighties. It's maybe not quite so polished. The the maybe the quality of the film grain. I don't I don't know. This this was the first movie I um I got to on my list where I actually 
almost wanted to separate out the writer director and almost have like a different different list for each in terms of what I thought about the story versus the direction. But you know, that wasn't the brief and I like to stay within scope. So I kept it as it was, but yeah, I really like the story in this one. I feel like it was, uh, the movie where, um, Michael Madsen first came to my attention. I feel like that's where he made his name. When I sort of visualized this movie in my head, he is his character. I think of, um, a lot of great humor in the writing, and another reason perhaps why it's a little further down the list is that Tarantino himself was quite a central character on screen. I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I do prefer him to have just a bit of a cameo or a minor appearance, to be honest. I, I, I think he's, I think he's great, but not so much on screen, but uh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs number eight for me. So we are definitely parting ways here. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I uh, go into my number eight, so one of the great things for me about Reservoir Dogs is just such a great ensemble of actors and a real kind of like knock around uh, gangster crew for me. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi. I could go on, but and, and so many great lines I, again, I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but it's a movie I watched a lot in my late teens, mm. early 20s. Yep. Many a funny conversation around who would be uh, Mr. Pink, who would be Mr. Brown. Yep. Um, some some great uh, banter between those characters. Um, and I remember being quite... Um, uh, graphic, I guess, for its time. Um, yes. particularly with um, when one of the characters gets shot, and there's I'm pretty sure did someone lose an ear at some point or something, mm-hmm. and that sounds right. there's, there's all sorts all, all sorts of stuff that happens in there. Um, but yeah, I, I can I can appreciate what you're saying. Um, even just looking at the stills of the movie, it doesn't it it's got that old school vibe, doesn't it? Hmm. It feels it feels dated. Um, but it's not my number eight. The, the, the final thing I'll just quickly say on that, just because you talked about Steve Buscemi and Mr. Pink, uh, Tarantino actually originally wanted to play Mr. Pink, um, and he actually made a, a point of letting all the other actors audition for the part. And when Buscemi came in to read for it, Tarantino said to him that he wanted the part for himself and that the only way that he would possibly get it off of him would be if he did an amazing audition. And that's exactly what Steve Buscemi did, and he came in and he got the part. I think... Um, Good call on the, the the banter between Mr. Pink and Mr. Brown. Really, really some great scenes. I think if I was going to go uh, peak performance, I would be torn myself probably between Steve Buscemi as mm. Mr. Pink or even um, Tim Roth as Mr. Orange. Really just kind of standout characters from memory. Yeah. What have you got for eight, Dan? So for number eight for me, I'm actually going to go for Death Proof. So I'm, I'm looking at your face to decide what type of um, what what type of thing I'm going to launch into. So um, Death Proof um, released as part of the kind of two part feature. Would that be the word? Um, the the Grindhouse. That's right. What was the other movie called? Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Planet Yeah. So Planet Terror and Death Proof. And released at the same time. Um, Death Proof for um, 
those that need sort of a, a bit of a reminder. So in Austin, Texas, the girlfriends, uh, Julia, Arlene, and Shana, meet in a bar to drink, smoke, and make out with their boyfriends before traveling alone um, to Lake LBJ to spend the weekend together. They meet the former Hollywood stuntman Mike, who takes Pam out in his death-proof stunt car. 14 months later, Mike turns up in Lebanon, Tennessee, um, and chase Abernethy, Zoe, and Kim, but these girls are tough and decide to pay back the attack. So a movie I, I remember watching at the time and not really knowing what I was in for, um, but kind of a, a fun ride. I, interesting, it's got a, a Kiwi connection mm. um, with the Zoe Bell in that movie. Obviously start, stars Kurt Russell. Um, it's got some great action scenes, some um, great tense moments of um, what's going to happen. It's. I was kind of a little bit torn with this and where this one sat in my list. And I, to be honest with you, I probably could have easily shuffled around 10, 9, and 8 um, okay, okay. into any one of these positions. Um Whereas the other ones, I kind of felt a little bit more. No, they're they're further up the list, but it's um, it's also got a a pretty good soundtrack as well. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a good movie. Something a little bit different, a little bit um, you know, not a lot of different, I guess, scenes like not not a lot of different locations mm. um in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting how you say it. it's it's a little bit different when you think Tarantino's movies by and large are, are sort of all over the place, um, but always have a running theme. But this, you're right, there is something about this one that feels different. I think the fact that it was part of that um, double feature with Planet Terror made it feel different right from the start. Um, mm. And also the fact that they that both him and Robert Rodriguez, who, who did Planet Terror, both went for um, that whole um, budget look. They wanted it to look aged. They wanted it to have that genuine 70s feel. And I read somewhere what I did some reading on the train about this one that um tarantino actually physically um scarred the film to give it an effect of being old rather than sort of putting computer effects over the top which he also did but he also did some physical damage to the film before i mean that's you know that's quite extraordinary itself so maybe that's that's some real uh star trek torch on the side of the screen situation isn't it it is it really is nice nice of you to get star trek and i appreciate that um this 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 movie though is one that i frequently seem to be at odds with 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 most people most people disagree with me about this one in terms of uh a as a standalone movie by itself and then b within the tarantino order if you like but i love it and i feel like this was also the first movie that i ever saw Kurt Russell in not sorry not not the first movie I ever saw him but the first time I saw him live on the on the screen as opposed to watching him in an old uh, Escape from LA or an old you know whatever type movie it was kind of a the it was the one where I really took note of him um, I really I really felt that this was a, a performance that he really was superb in um, the um, the addition as you say of of Zoe Bell for bringing that great conversation about New Zealand into that scene. Uh, was it a diner or, or a cafe or something where they start talking? That was, that was fantastic. Um, and of course it made for some amazing, uh, 
some amazing scenes because with the exception of Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a plane, most of the time when you see someone doing something crazy in a movie, it's obviously a, a stuntman or a stunt woman or, or, or a double of some description. And of course with Zoe Bell who came into this movie thinking that she was going to be a double and then actually was a main character. It made for some amazing scenes where the camera could show full body with face and everything. And you knew it was genuinely that person hanging off the car. It was incredible. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie, the soundtrack. Uh, I, I don't know why I can't put my finger on it, but it just is a movie that if I think, oh, yeah, I feel like watching a Tarantino movie, it's it's one I would I, I would say I've watched this movie the most with the exception of Pulp Fiction, I would say. Um, so that's how much I enjoy this movie. And that's uh, that's why it's a little higher up my list than uh, than your number eight. I think um, one thing that always sticks out with that movie and talking about Zoe Bell is, and I don't know whether other other people find this, but hearing when you're a New Zealander, when you hear a New Zealand accent with other accents, it, it's quite cringy, mm-hmm. and which probably feels rich to say because if you're listening to this podcast, particularly from <laughs> somewhere other than New Zealand, you're either enjoying it or you're like, ugh, yuck. But it really, um, it was quite polarizing. I remember at the time, every time Zoe would speak, oh God, that's Kiwi. But then at the same time, feeling quite proud that oh, there's a there's a New Zealander in a Quentin Tarantino movie that's so cool when she's a stunt woman. So um, no, it's great that not only was she the um, one of the main actresses, but the, the stunt woman as well. I um, I do have to confess, one of my things, which one of my pet peeves, Paul, if you ever um, if you ever roll around in a ten second car with me, I hate it when people put their feet on the dash. And you know, in this movie, this is mm-hmm. one of those movies where those girls have always got their feet up on the dash. And I think to myself, you're going to get in an accident, and it isn't going to be pretty. Get your feet off the dash. It's not for me. That's right. Safety first, Dan. I appreciate that attitude. I hope to hear more of that when we you know talk more about Fast and the Furious. Um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I love those scenes in the car, though, uh, even though I, I agree with oh, you. Yeah. you I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being cheeky, but yeah, they are great scenes. Great scenes, great music, great camera angles, and angles that are synonymous now with Tarantino. And when we see him repeat it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, there's something about that. When a director has a style that you can pinpoint as theirs, I love it. I really do. So, uh, yep. I, I, I think I'm going to have to go and just make sure that I own all of these movies digitally. Like, um, I just need to own them so that at any time I can watch them. I think it's important. It's important for the archives. Absolutely right. And one last thing on Zoe Bell, not only was she in it, was she the main star, well, one of the main stars, Anna She was really good as an actress. So forget about just being a stunt double. She was was really, really good as an actress. And I think... Uh, the more just listening to you talk about it, then the more I think about that, the more I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen a little more of her because I thought she 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 was really great on screen. She's got an amazing IMDb page of all of the stunt work that she's done, so um, she definitely has been very busy in a lot of movies. So, so have we done your number eight, Paul? Uh, Great half measures here. I've already forgotten. I think I let I let off with number eight, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, you let off with number eight. My oh, number eight was, was Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Oh, of course, of course, of course. 
All right, then, shall we get into uh, number seven? Indeed. Me? Do you want me to go? Okay. Okay, you go. Number seven for me is the 2015 movie, The Hateful Eight. So this movie, quick synopsis, sometime after the Civil War, a stagecoach hurdles through the wintry Wyoming landscape. A bounty hunter and his fugitive captive race towards the town of Red Rock, where a bounty hunter... Uh, will bring the fugitive to justice. Along the way, they encounter an infamous bounty hunter and a man who claims to be the new sheriff. They get lost in a blizzard and they all seek refuge. And when they arrive, they're greeted by a bunch of unfamiliar faces and a storm overtakes the mountain and these eight travellers come to learn that they might not make it to Red Rock after all. So despite that synopsis, perhaps sounding relatively complicated i actually feel the plot in this movie is pretty it's pretty straightforward it makes for a relatively simplistic story which is perhaps a bit of a change for for tarantino um also simplistic i guess is the fact that so much of this movie takes place in one in one place i don't know what was it a saloon a bar a house i I don't know i can't remember what it was now it was just it was just a building of some description it's basically one huge room and so it's primarily taking place in that one space. And we've talked about this before on the podcast about how I love those movies that are set within that uh, specific confined space. And you get the real sort of sense of that. I do enjoy that every now and then. Um, it's it's number seven on the list. I feel like um, it's got less of a visual appeal compared to a lot of the Tarantino movies. I feel like it has very little color or vibrancy on screen. And I think obviously, you know, taking place in snowy freezing conditions lends itself to very bland color schemes. It sort of reminds me of the look and feel of uh, the Revenant in that regard, but you know, also a great movie. Um, It does have some great dialogue. Um, I would say this is one movie where he, he being Tarantino, perhaps dialed the volume up a little too much on some of the characters they some of the characters seemed i wouldn't say wooden but or forced but they just seemed a little in some places a little too stereotypical or something i don't know i can't quite put my finger on it but um again kurt russell superb uh, samuel jackson superb there was um a number of brilliant exchanges and another great movie it's made it up to number seven on the list is it number seven for you dan it is number seven, so we uh, we sink again. We meet again. Um, so, yeah, look, I think this movie, again, is a very slow-building pace mm. in an environment that doesn't change a lot. So it feels like you've got to put in a lot of work to get to the end, and it's a movie where... When I was watching it, I was like, am I enjoying this? Am I having a good time? And then by the end, there's so much um, action and violence and adrenaline. You're like, wow, that movie was amazing. And you kind of walk out of the theatre talking about it, thinking about it, um, commenting on some of the um, the key scenes or the actors or the cool quotes that um, that you've heard. But the actual being in it is a bit of a slog. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I feel like we've probably been quite critical of this considering how far up the list it is compared to some of the other Tarantino movies. But um, it's 
it's a movie that I really enjoyed, but I never feel like I'm in a rush to see it again. I do enjoy the I feel like I really enjoy the Western genre and I think that pulls on a lot of those strings. Yes. It's not going to be a movie for everyone though, because it is again, I think by the time you get to the end, like it gets pretty, pretty dark and pretty violent. There's, there's, there's a bit of that throughout it. I think the thing that I enjoyed a lot about it though, was the almost kind of the, the murder mystery who done it factor to, the, to the, while I was watching it, who is the, who is the bad guy here? Who is kind of behind all of this and seeing that play out with so many amazing actors, as you said, Sam Jackson, Kurt Russell, I think Jennifer, Jason Lee, mm. Daisy, great character, Walter Goggins, um, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, like there's just Zoe Bell again, like there's yes. so many. I think the Tarantino effect just brings together so much talent that you're almost literally filming a movie, in this case, in one room, centered around all their characters and what they're doing. Everyone's having a great time. And add in extreme violence and blood at the, in the last 15 minutes, and that's the cherry on top. You're absolutely right again. And just hearing you mention Michael Madsen as well, worth a mention because he sort of dips in and out of some of the Tarantino movies, and I, I feel like I'd, I either see him on the front cover of a of a really dodgy-looking B-movie or he's in a Tarantino movie, and this was one of his uh, his great Tarantino performances. The other thing you mentioned about the the whodunit factor, this is one of those movies that falls into that same enjoyment factor like uh, Knives Out or Murder on the Orient Express, that kind of appeal, that kind of really, Definitely. really that vibe. comes through in this movie, doesn't it? So um, no, it's, it's one of those ones which just looking through the ratings here, it actually scores one of like the second to lowest of the Tarantino movies on a lot of... Um, different sort of rating scales um and i wonder why that might be because there is so much about it that is that is great but um yeah it's made its number seven on our list it's one of those movies too where if you're a fan of red dead redemption particularly red dead redemption 2 like this is probably a movie that you should watch because you know much like i was i've talked about previously with uh ghost of tsushima and looking for that samurai vibe, this is that deep, dark Western vibe that um, could kind of carry on that that universe for you. Well, number six, we're moving on up. Number six. All right, we're really getting into the the tough territory. Mm. So, um, God, I, I, I said this reluctantly, actually. Number six for me is Kill Bill Volume 2. So... I'm a pretty big Kill Bill fan. Um, and it's almost not that number two is bad for me. It's just that I can't put it above some of these other movies because they're all so freaking great. Um, so Kill Bill Volume 2 is obviously a continuation of Kill Bill Volume 1. Um Blessed be the fruit that we get Kill Bill Volume 3 one day. But so the uh, synopsis of the story is the murderous bride is back and she's still continuing her her vengeance quest against her ex-boss Bill and taking aim at Bill's younger brother Bud and Ellie Driver, the only survivors from the squad of assassins who betrayed her four years earlier, all leading up to the ultimate confrontation with Bill, the bride's former master and the man who ordered her execution. So... 
I find it hard to talk about Kill Bill 2 without talking about Kill Bill 1, but mm. just this whole um, two-part series, I was so excited for Kill Bill Part 2. I love the idea of the bride. I love the idea um, of the sort of of the amnesia factor of her kind of regaining her past. I love the other assassins. I loved Ali Driver um, and just the, the way this, this whole movie played out. I think the one thing that volume two does is it kind of brings in a few more kind of quirky elements that don't ground it in, and I use the word reality loosely, but mm-hmm. ground it in reality as much as I think as, as Kill Bill 1 does. And I, I think for that, a little bit of that for me is like that, is the, is the master who's training her and I, I don't know, I don't really want to say anything bad because I, I still really love this movie. It's I don't really have any too many complaints with it. I think it was a fitting a fitting um conclusion to the Kill Bill story arc. Um yeah, I don't know. I look I, I love it too much to really critique it too much. What about you, Paul? Look, you're absolutely right about it getting into tough territory in terms of you know, where the, where the chips are going to fall. I, I don't have it as my number six. Um, I, where I am aligned with you is that I also, I have it below Kill Bill volume one. So I think you're right. It is, um, for me ever so slightly the lesser of the two Kill Bill movies. Um, as you said, I, you know, it's, it's so hard of it to, to think of it without the other. I, I kind of, place these two together they're two parts of one story and for me they always feel like one movie i don't think i've ever watched one movie without the other and certainly i don't know about anyone else but i don't think i've ever sat down and watched kill bill volume 2 by itself it just seems it's like it's like starting with um the two towers or something crazy you know you just wouldn't do it but um i think the the final battle scenes in this this volume 2 are just absolutely top draw there that really over the top um you know there's some real creative writing and some great direction uma thurman is just amazing in her quest for me this is this is the role of a lifetime for her for sure and you know in that regard she's she's clearly my standout performance um i did although that said i I would give a shout out to uh, david david Carradine is it um, as Bill himself I thought um, I haven't seen much of him in his career and when I look at what he's done uh, I feel like I only saw some of his later stuff but I thought he was 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 really really great in this movie but um yeah it was a little bit more over the top in volume one but it's it's got one of those great soundtracks again I I I cannot imagine Kill Bill 3 I can't imagine it. I've seen it on IMDb, so it must be real. Um, but, you know, and, and also Tarantino talking about how uh, he's been waiting for the cast to age so that they can come back and play those parts. I mean, it's just, this is the master masterstroke of a, of a crazy genius. Um, but Volume 2, a great movie. Um, I understand your struggle in terms of where you've put it in your list. It almost makes me wish that we decided that front just to talk about Kill Bill. Is one. I almost messaged you to say, "Shall we do that?" But it was too late in the day, and I just thought, "No, no." Um, 
you know, we've we've decided what we're doing. We only thought about it. We didn't put too much thought in classic half measure and on reflection as one movie. I think I would have preferred that, but there we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is what is your number six? Well, my number six, and this is the one that I feel the most bad about about being number six. It's so good. How can it possibly be not in the top five? Is Django Unchained. The 2012 movie. I, Dan, I've never seen you give me the eyes that I didn't know you could have that much white in your eyes. Um, look, this is a, a fantastic movie. Quick synopsis. Um, mid, mid 18th century, uh, sorry, mid 19th century. Uh, bounty hunter named Schultz uh, seeks out a slave named Django and buys him because he needs him to find some men that he's looking for. And after finding them, Django wants to find his wife, who, along with him, was sold separately by his former owner for trying to escape. So Schultz offers to help him if he chooses to stay with him and be his partner. And eventually they find out that his wife was sold uh, to a plantation in Mississippi. And obviously knowing that they can't just go in there and say they want her, they come out with this, this amazing plan so that the owner will welcome them into his home and then they can work out a way of getting the wife away. So, uh, yeah, another incredible plot written so, so well. Tarantino does not shy away from controversial subjects in life, does he? I mean, this is this is probably the movie that when I watch it, of all the Tarantino movies, it's kind of the one that makes me feel, I guess, I guess the angriest when I watch it because of what is actually happening, you know, to, to human lives in that time. And... As such, I guess I can also say that I'm probably the most invested in Django as a character of all the of all the Tarantino movies. He's the one I care about the most and who I want to succeed in his quest. Um, I guess I guess in Glorious Bastards is similar, but we'll get to that in a minute. But um, but yeah, Django Unchained. Uh, I even just saying it, I don't know how it can be number six on any list in the world, but. Um, that's that's where the chips have fallen for me. An amazing movie, Christopher Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Samuel Jackson. Absolutely, really fantastic. Probably one of his best Tarantino performances. The standout performance, though, um, is Django himself, uh, Mr. Fox. Fantastic. Yeah, look, I'm. It is, it is tough. Um, I, I I think you've said it all. I think there's. Um, one thing I really enjoy about the the Tarantino universe is how there's kind of this group of actors who largely travel around in the Tarantino mm. movies, and I think that's really cool. Um, I'm with you, Jamie Fox, absolute standout mm. in um, in this movie, and I equally really enjoyed. Um, um, Christopher Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio, like just just so good, so memeable, so many great scenes. Yep. And I think, like you say, this one deals with a, a darker part of history. Um, and uh, and I think you're right. Like there's no there's no shying away from it. Um, and it turns it into a into a really good movie. And it's. Like it's it's there's lots of great different scenes. There's lots of great um, pieces of dialogue. There's it's so well shot. It's great soundtrack. Both dark and dark and sad and funny. The the soundtrack's great. It's uh, 
it, it's such a great movie. It's such a great movie. I, 1.3 million votes on IMDb. You have it at 8.4 out of 10. Uh, that's an indication of how highly other people rate it. If anything, I think it should be higher than that. But uh, that's that's my number six. It's good. It's good. Um, another Western, as I say, I'm loving the Westerns. I um, I've, I've got a bit of a, I've got a bit of a, a desire to watch a few more westerns at the moment. So um, mm. maybe I'll need to check out these ones again as well, just to just to bring them back. I like it. I like it. So we must be up to uh, number five. So look, my number five was was Django. So um, okay, I've I've got no- nothing more too much to say. Um, <laughs> much like most of my list, I could have probably bumped this around one or two slots. Um, probably depending on probably a recency bias. To be honest, if I watch them all again, mm-hmm. um, before doing this list, I, I may even have a different order. But um, it's uh, it, it sits really strongly for me at the moment in the in number five in the middle of my my ten. Yeah, no, I like that. I think another podcast might have made taking the time to watch all 10 movies and then rank them because the recency bias is a real thing. Um, my number five was in fact, uh, the 2007 death proof. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's higher up on my list than I think most people's Tarantino lists. And I understand why some people would have it, have it much further down the list. It's, uh, it's just one of those things. Moving into We're racing through. Moving into number four, we are. I was going to say, we're going to race through this as well because my number four is Kill Bill Volume 2. So um, that's uh, that's where that one falls for me, Kill Bill Volume 2, uh, my number four. My number four is actually Reservoir Dogs. So I think it's so highly up there for me because – it was my first Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first movie that um, I guess I probably watched and kind of thought this is like cool and different. And it was kind of like probably I imagine like when it first came out, like I would have been, when was this? 92. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 92. Like a, so I would have been, I was only about 13 at that time. Um, I, in fact, I probably didn't watch it for a few more years. In fact, I, I may well have probably could have even watched it after um, Pulp Fiction. But I do, I, I remember just watching it a lot and it just being a, a real staple in um, flat movie nights. Um, I think we, we, we've talked enough about how how great the cast is and how, and how good the, the movie is. So, yeah, for me, number four, Resort Dogs. To, to give credence to your high placing on this, because I know I had it down at eight, this is actually on Rotten Tomatoes, the highest rating of all the Tarantino movies. And this is where I got to that point. You know how I said I wanted to split it by writing and directing? I feel like I feel like that 92%, I feel like a lot of that is potentially down to the writing in this one. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I feel like this was really well written. Great dialogue. I'll give you a little bit of a trivia about this movie, since we've already talked about it. So um, Michael Madsen, who plays um, Vic Vega, actually is he's really adverse to violence and actually had a hard time um, shooting some of the scenes that he had to be in um, in 
in this movie. And you'll notice his name is Vic Vega, which is similar to um, Vincent Vega in uh, Pulp Fiction. And so originally Tarantino um, wanted him to be in Pulp Fiction as well, but uh, eventually cast John Travolta and decided that the two were actually brothers. But um, I I kind of like the idea of, you know, have you heard those – stories about how the um oh, who makes the toy story movies uh, oh. uh dream dream dreamworks or like pixar 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 they all of the pixar movies are actually interconnected by a different thread i like to think of the the pulp fiction movies probably have a, a similar thread throughout them uh particularly with all of the crossover of characters and actors and there's probably something something fun. I'm sure if we probably did a, a Google search, but that would be way way too much of a full measure. Mm. There probably is a, a thread between them all. Well, so we're into we're getting, we're getting serious now, Paul. We are. I'm, getting, I'm really excited to see where you where you put these last three movies. So I'll I'll kick us off, shall I? Um, my number three is the 2003 movie Kill Bill Volume One. So this is the one where the bride, who was a member of the Deadly Viper assassination squad, was led by her lover, Bill, upon realizing she was pregnant with Bill's child. The bride decides to escape her life as a killer. She flees to Texas, meets a young man, and on the day of the wedding, uh, he's gunned down by an angry and jealous Bill with the, the assistance of the Deadly Viper assassination squad. And then four years later, we find the bride waking from her coma, and her baby's gone. And so she decides to seek revenge upon the five people who destroyed her life. And the saga of Kill Bill Volume 1 begins. So, yeah, I feel like so much of what I said about Kill Bill 2 applies here, about them, you know, two parts of one story, another just crazy, amazing soundtrack. And for a long time, I actually had the uh, the famous whistling song as my ringtone to the you know, the dismay of my workmates, those crazy, crazy fight scenes where there's a seemingly endless number of people coming to fight. Just some of the best, uh, best scenes of all time. Those, those, those scenes. There's the one I forget where they were, but the girl is. She's got that. What do you call it? Where she's spinning it around, and it's just got some great sound effects as she's spinning that sort of club thing around. It's just amazing. Lucy Liu in this movie, I thought was a standout. You're, you're talking about uh, Gogo Yabari and yes. spinning around the, the yes. bomby knocker or type thing. Just just like just doesn't look like that she would be that person, but just she's absolutely terrifying in that in that scene. Um, I, I feel like I, I, I find it as I said, I find it difficult to differentiate these two movies and talk about something different that I haven't said for Volume Two. But there's something about this the the premise and the setup of this movie that I found more satisfying than the conclusion. Which is 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 kind of uh, interesting when when you you've talked about in particular how Tarantino has that sort of slow build up and then a big finish. This one, this one doesn't have a slow build up at all, but it has a very satisfying build up. And I think her coming out of the coma and then sort of in the car and trying to get her toe to wiggle and just all of that build up, all of those scenes, and then you know, given what's happened to her, you just you know, you really want her to get that revenge. And so it's really satisfying seeing her go on her mission and just get stronger and stronger. And, you know, that 
amazing yellow jumpsuit thing that she's wearing. It's it's just great. It's a great movie. It's number three. Is it your number three? No, it's it's not my number three. But um, I think the thing about Kill Bill, which is really great, and I, you hit the nail on the head, is that it's quite different to other Tarantino movies in the sense that there isn't the slow build. It's it's a lot of different set pieces, and they're quite, they're quite big set pieces. Um, the and again another stellar cast, amazing soundtrack. It's very bright and colourful. Mm. There's lots of different interesting scenes. They even mix in a bit of um, anime or sort of animation into some of the the backstory of the characters from the very get go. Um, you're you're you feel invested in the bride. Lucy Liu, Vivica Fox, Daryl Hannah, mm. um, Julia Dreyfus, like there's so so many great actors. And I, I think to your point as well, um, Gogo Yabari as a uh, the schoolgirl assassin. Yeah. So great. And uh, again, some of the some of the camera angles and some of the, the way they um they shot the, the crazy eight scenes, so enjoyable. Um I actually this is a soundtrack I play all the time and I actually own it on vinyl and um, having vinyls a bit of a pain in the butt sometimes because you've got to obviously change, change the, change your record all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I often just leave the, the Kill Bill volume one soundtrack on the record player and I put it on all the time because there's so many great hits on there. Amazing. That's great. <sighs> okay. So number three for me I've actually gone with Inglorious Bastards. So it was tough. It was tough. Mm. Um, Inglorious Bastards is such a great film. And this has got all of the the hallmarks of, of Tarantino stamped all throughout it with another stellar, stellar cast. So uh, a quick summary of that movie. So in a German-occupied France, a young Jewish refugee um, witnesses the slaughter of her family uh, by Colonel Hans Lander, narrowly escaping with her own life. She plots her revenge several years later when German war hero uh, Frederick Zoller takes a rapid interest in her and arranges an illustrious movie premiere at the theatre she now runs. With the promise of every major Nazi officer in attendance, the event catches the attention of the, the bastards. I don't know why I just did the air quotes because no one can see that. Um, a group of Jewish-American guerrilla soldiers led by the ruthless Lieutenant Aldo Rain. And even just saying the name, Aldo Rain, mm. like I... So great, so great. So there's some amazing scenes in this movie. Um, so Brad Pitt um, plays Lieutenant Aldo Rain. He leads this kind of um, ragtag um, bunch of uh, soldiers, and but they're 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 the bastards. But they're not even the star always of the movie. Like Christopher Waltz um, as Colonel Hans Lander mm-hmm. has so many terrifying and amazing scenes in in this whole movie there's some great build-up there's some great moments of tension um there's some great sort of wondering where it's going to happen there's some great comedy they make light of again you know you talked about it with Django some terrible things have happened in history this is also is dealing with some some pretty terrible um marks on on history but um such a 
such a great movie. And I, I Brad Pitt is, I'm torn between Brad Pitt and um, uh, Christopher Waltz because they both just play such amazing characters in this. Mm. It's it's an incredible movie, isn't it? And it's actually the one when it came out. Um, it sort of it, the whole world sort of took note again that Tarantino had returned. I think that no one really disagreed, unlike you know Death Proof or or Jackie Brown. Yeah, you know, this was another Tarantino is the real deal again. It's uh, it's such a satisfying movie to watch, and you know again, like you said. For once, we largely see the bad guys getting what they deserve, which isn't always the case in the Tarantino movie. Um, the there's so many great scenes. Uh, I feel like the scene at the start when you're wondering if um, the Nazi colonel will find you know the people hiding under the floor. The scene at the bar where, where Michael Fassbender is faking being a Nazi, and um, you know just so many just incredible scenes. I actually thought. There was this role because Christopher Waltz, as you say, is so terrifying. I feel like this is a role of a lifetime for him as well. He's he's just evil personified. I feel like this is the role that, in many ways, got him the 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 Bond villain part of, uh, as Blofeld because he he just really just was he is absolute standout for me. My my standout is is Christopher Waltz with a with a shout out to uh, Melanie Laurent as um, uh, Shazana, the uh, the, Jeff, the the Jewish uh, refugee. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I feel like of all the movies he's made, this one, Tarantino, that is, this one is actually the one with the most tension. Um, and I do talk about that a lot. I do love, you know, things like Homeland. I love things with tension. They're really, really, really gripping. And I feel like if I if I line up all the Tarantino movies for different ways of ranking them, this is the tensest, and it's a it's a really satisfying watch. It's also the movie where I think I first discovered Michael Fassbender as well, which seems incredible because he'd already got a whole catalogue of things under his belt. But um, no, it's a it's a, it's a really good choice. It's a really really good choice. As we see, it's getting tough at this point because they're all great. They're all um, they're all winners, but um. They can be only one. They can indeed, and I'll make it real easy for you by telling you this is my number two. So there's there's my number two spot taken straight away with uh, this inglorious bastards. Well, my number two is Kill Bill. Um, I think it's just it's absolutely just just one of my favourites. Um, there's, there's again not much more we can say that we haven't already. So so vibrant, so bright, so colourful. It just stands out for me as a, a fun movie. And I think the difference for me with, say, Kill Bill over a, a Django or a Hateful Eight or anything is I feel I could put Kill Bill on potentially with parents or visitors in the room and they'd probably have a good time, whereas I feel like if I put on the Hateful Eight or I, I just don't know whether that would be their cup of tea, whereas I think Kill yeah. Bill's got a bit more mass appeal. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. It does. It's um, it's and the vibrancy you talked about it, um, the colour and the vibrancy of this movie really stands out. It's um, do you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see the two movies melded together as one, with no cut, no no ending, no no. I wonder if that would be such a thing. That would be that would be really great to see. We should get the uh, social media manager. Onto the Tarantino crew, mm-hmm. see what can be done. Mm-hmm. 
look at a straight to Netflix release would be perfect. That would be ideal, right? So, Paul, I actually think we've been more in sync than we've ever been before. I feel feel shocked because I, I've, I've see. I, I came into this thinking that your your ten was going to be Hollywood and your one would be Kill Bill. I was close. You were nine and two, um, but in between, I think the I think where did we fall out the most in terms of differences? The probably with um, Death Proof, I'd imagine. Death Proof, and I think oh Reservoir Dogs and Reservoir right. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. So, but by and large, we've we've been within a couple of places. So, um, so we've both got number one, the classic. 1994 pulp fiction so um it almost feels like i i shouldn't have to read out the synopsis but i'm going to because um it's it's the hardest one of all to to try and sum up so we've got jules winfield and vincent vega uh two hitmen who are out to retrieve a suitcase i appreciate that paul I, i wonder how many people picked up on that um vincent vega uh yeah uh Tried to, uh, they, they stole a, a suitcase from their employer, mob boss Marcellus Wallace. And Wallace had also asked Vincent to take out his wife, Mia, a few days later when Wallace himself will be out of town. Uh, then we've got Butch, an aging boxer who's paid by Wallace to lose his fight. And then the lives of these seemingly unrelated people are all woven together. And I challenge anyone to bring a more succinct summary than that. Um, now, when you look at that premise, when you look at that plot, it doesn't actually sound that amazing, uh, which I find interesting because when I think about the movie that I placed in 10th place, Jackie Brown, that has a plot that instantly hooks me in based on the description alone. But the sheer magic of how Tarantino brings these stories together with the humor, the tension, the imagination that brought so many of those iconic scenes to life. Um, every time I buy a milkshake i want it to be five dollars um the, the the dance scene with, with tarantino and uma thurman the quarter panda with cheese the the royale with cheese um i i have to hang over hand over to you dan because otherwise i'll just talk all night this is uh this is just an incredible movie i've got um i've got three three facts sort of on top of my three facts they're three little tidbits of information mm-hmm. one when i went to france i I had to instantly go and buy a Royale with cheese just so that I, I could like talk about having a Royale with cheese. Nice. And I had to take a photo of the box just to be like, I've got a Royale with cheese. Um, I had to convince my mum to go and hire this movie out for me from the video store so that I could watch it because um, I, I wasn't 18 at the, at the time. In sixth form English, we convinced our English teacher from the UK that this movie was actually an R16 in New Zealand and we should watch it as an English project, <laughs> which we managed to do until he then got in trouble with some parents Brilliant. for letting us watch it. Can you imagine? I never believed the kids. Yeah, the kids coming home to, to, to the parents like, yeah, we watched Pulp Fiction and the parents just being like, yeah, whatever, and then finding out it was for real. I think um, this is the movie – that like kind of blew my mind. I think how all of those story elements just connected together, mm. and it's a movie which you know there's been episodes of The Simpsons where they've kind of like played on sort of strings from this. I think the the Vincent Vega, Jules, uh, Jules Winfield characters are, are timeless. Winston Wolf, 
timeless. Mm. Um, the the terrifying um, Zed's dead um, <laughs> scenes. Zed's um, dead, baby. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, just so many great things happen. And again, like we talk about kind of the slow build of Tarantino movies. This isn't slow build because there's so many different things happening that all come together. And by the time they come together in the end, you're just like, whoa, like mind blowing that it's how, how it all works. Um, and and what an amazingly star-studded cast. Mm. Like if you were to make Pulp Fiction today, could you even get all of those people in the same room? I don't even know if you could. Is it even possible? I, don't, I think you'd be able to afford it, certainly not on the budget that he did it on back in those days. Um, just just like like you said, just some of the actors that were playing side characters, like the side character of Winston Wolfe, played by Harvey Cartel. What, a, what an amazing side character and what a great performance from Harvey Cartel. Even just some of the things that happen in there, like when um, Mia Wallace overdoses and needs, needs oh. like a, a shot of adrenaline to the heart. Like I still feel a thud in my chest I can't when watch I think it. about that scene. It's too much. It's it, it's it's too much. There's oh, so so many great scenes. Such a great soundtrack as well. Um, we've talked about Samuel Jackson as a peak performance before, and in this movie, just the lines that he's delivering, just. Just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Dan, I'm just curious. So you got the the Royal with cheese, and they don't call it a quarter pound over there because of the metric system. Uh, what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. They I call it the Whopper, Paul. I don't know. They call it the Whopper. And go into Burger King. I, I feel like I feel like this is one of those movies I could sit here and just quote all night. Um, John Travolta um for me this may sound offensive but was an actor who i had no opinion of and no desire to see and all i associated him with was grease and saturday night fever and i just figured he was a guy that that used to show up in dancing movies and then all of a sudden his career's relaunched with this 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 crazy movie um i think my favorite scene though is still towards the end where him and samuel jackson are, are both just walking out of the restaurant in their 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 t-shirts, shorts, and jandals that they're wearing after the incident with the uh, with, with Winston Wolf, um, just just something about the way they walk out of the out of that restaurant is just it's just brilliant. It's um yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the next movie that really stands out for me for John Travolta after Pulp Fiction is probably Face Off. Oh yeah, with um, yeah. Nicolas Cage. Um, but yeah, much like you, just even looking back at his movies before that, mm. not a lot stands out apart from Greece. Like Greece was a movie that was played a lot in our house. My sister and mum were really big fans of it. So summer loving, it's in, it's ingrained in my brain. Um, but yeah, no great characters. I think it's I think it kind of had to be number one. Yeah, I wonder whether. Um, Tarantino thinks of this as his number one as well. Like, a, like it's a movie you can't really top. Um, you couldn't even remake it, I don't think. Um, it just wouldn't wouldn't be the same. Not not a chance. And it's interesting because when I came into when we decided we were going to do this this list, and I started thinking about them, uh, I started jotting down where I thought, and I kept moving Pulp Fiction up the list. And I, I thought, oh, I wonder what's going to where it's going to stop. And it just kept going. It just kept going, and it didn't stop. So, yeah, it's 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 you know. Quentin Tarantino is is 
crazy, right? I think we, we all have to agree that he, he's 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 a little bit controversial. He's perhaps a little bit over the line, but he's really made his mark on the world of cinema. And I think this is the one that I think he'll always just be remembered for. I think you're right with the the controversial line. Like there's there's some alleged um, mm. pretty bad things, isn't there, about mm. him? Just the way he like to get the perfect shot. Um, mm. Didn't uh, Herman actually suffer bad um, back or neck damage from some of those things? Yeah, I was reading about that as well, and just because you know, and you almost don't like hearing stuff like this, but you know, the facts are the facts. But what I found interesting was is that Uma Thurman didn't ultimately blame Quentin Tarantino. She put the blame on on Weinstein, and uh, Tarantino sort of had sort of offered for for her to have the stunt double and then he he drove the he drove that same length of road as well um but yeah who knows and i i'm not gonna try and claim judgment on either way but just the fact is there's controversy there's all kinds of things going on and i think and this isn't this doesn't justify it but i think you almost need to have that sort of just borderline edge of a character to be able to produce something as as memorable as some of these movies and uh as i say it doesn't if it, if it goes over the line it doesn't justify it but it certainly brings about um a side to a movie that not everyone can do i think you're right like and again not justifying bad behavior or putting people's lives at risk but I think to be a creative genius like this, sometimes you've got to be a bit different, right? Mm. You, you you don't create pieces of work like this without being a little bit extreme and a little bit different. Yeah, and I'm just I was just I just quickly googled it then, and just there's a picture here that from 2014 um, with John Travolta, Uma Thurman, and Quentin Tarantino, and Uma Thurman and Tarantino looking really close and friendly and having a great laugh together, and that was you know. S- you know what are we talking there 10 years after kill bill so um you know i do wonder you know i'm not gonna say anymore because i could be well out of place but it, it looks as if they seem to be in in a, in a better place than perhaps the media said they were It'd be interesting to see with kill bill 3 what I, the plan is there <laughs> i need them to be in a good place because i need kill bill 3 yeah that's right i want that story Yep. I want it. Yep. I want it. Um, so, yeah, that brings us to um, an old school half measures um, list of our Tarantino movies ranked um, from 10 to 1. I had a great time, as you like to say quite often, watching a movie. I had a great I had time. I had a great time. I, I, I had a great time. I really, uh, I really enjoyed going through some of these, these movies. Um, made me made me start thinking about some other lists that we could um uh potentially do as well but um it's a uh, yeah and definitely some uh some peak performances yes there's, there's um a few interesting characters to think about in there that's right and just thinking about writer directors that was the, the the podcast i was thinking of was you know i think the only question we haven't answered here is is quentin tarantino the greatest writer director of all time so there's another list that we could add to the the backlog and let management decide one day where we will we will we go into these lists well if um if you'd like to be a, a manager slash producer of the the half measures podcast um then you can join samara king and trisha brady as uh patreon producers of the show so we'd like to 
thank them for helping bring the show to air. Um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, um, the details are down below in the show notes, uh, or you can find us at uh, patreon.com slash halfmeasurespodcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, please do so on our website, halfmeasurepodcast.com. Send us a suggestion of a TV show or movie you'd like us to review or something you recommend we watch. And you can reach out to us on our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Half Measures Pod. And of course, the Discord community is there waiting for you to join it in the description of this episode. And so let's go get some um, Royales with cheese, Paul. Um, and just before we go, a special thanks to the Roddenberry Network for their support as well. Adios, guys.